We're going to pray that anything that's hindering us this morning, that we'd shake it off within the next 30 seconds. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord, we need you this morning. We came to see you. We came to serve you. We came to hear your word, Father God. We came to worship you with our voices. We also came to worship you with our finances, Lord. We desire that we would know you more, that we would walk closer with you, Lord, that your spirit, Lord, would take up more ground and territory within us, Lord, that we would be uh, those who would deny ourselves, Lord, that you would be able to increase. We have to decrease, Father. Have your way this morning. Take these resources, Lord, and use them to multiply your kingdom, Father God. Those who are lost to be found, Lord God. Those who are in the darkness to be able to see the light, Father. We thank you for what you've already done in this place, Lord, but our desire is that you would continue and that you would do more. Have your way over each and every one of us. We love you and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen, amen, amen. All right. <clears throat> so we've been in the middle of a, of a series for a few weeks. I know that Mary and I were gone for, for one week. Obviously, we are back. Uh, the series that we've been in has been on or been about building. The series is titled Right Angles. We're talking about, in September, we looked at Sola September and building a strong foundation that you could build upon. And then we get into October and we look at right angles, how to build upon the sound, the, uh, that foundation, right? You can have a, an amazing foundation, but if you don't know how to build on it, what good is it, right? Nothing is going to be produced. Right? Nothing that can provide shelter, nothing that can provide peace, nothing that can provide safety if you don't build upon that salvation that God has built for you. How many of you have ever seen that, where you drive by somewhere and there's a nice pad, there's a foundation laid out, but there's no building on it? Anybody ever seen that? What a waste, right? What a waste. That's how a lot of Christians look. They've got the foundation. They understand who Jesus is. They understand salvation. They understand uh, why he came and what he's done for them, but that's where they stop, and there's nothing ever built on top of that. Right Angles is about knowing how to build, but it's up to you if you're going to build this morning. This last Thursday night, I had one of those wonderful stay-up-till-2.30-in-the-morning conversations with my wife, and uh, it didn't help when I had to get up two hours later to go to work, but... We talked about all these things and all these different areas of our lives and what we're trying to build and why we're trying to build it and whether or not we're building at the right angles and, and how it's affecting our, our relationship, our friendships, our families, all those types of things. And it hit me hard as we were talking about all these things and I, expre I expressed to her how important our marriage is to me, right? I told her I believe in everything that we're doing. I know what we're trying to build and why we're trying to build it. Um, I'm all in and I'm focused. But I realize that sometimes the marriage itself can be neglected. You think that if you're building and everything's going well and we're partnering in ministry and we're partnering as parents, we're partnering as friends, and, and, and you're seeing good things produced, you think that automatically your marriage will be fine, and everything will be perfect. I believe that everything in our lives are connected. You, you have your own story of what you're trying to build. You have your own relationships, your own families, what you're trying to build. And they are, they're interconnected, right? However, when I, when I uh, got up on, on Friday, went to work, I kept thinking about it, thinking about it. The picture that was in my mind is like a, like a, a beautiful garden, a beautiful house, let's say landscaped yard. So think of the opposite of like my yard, right? So there's actually flowers and plants and it's well-groomed. And imagine all the different colors, all the different species of flowers, and then you have this sprinkler system. So it's got all the different kinds of sprinklers, right? Some of them pop up and spray out water. Some of them are like those hoses that have the holes in it, right? In the flower bed, so it just con consistently drips. Why? Because different areas of your garden need a different type of watering, right? So that they can bloom and they can blossom. Somebody to be meticulous about it, right? So I had this, this picture of that, and then I said, but for me, my marriage is like the sprinkler system itself underneath the ground, right? All those other things that are being built and everything that I see and that she sees and that you guys see, that's the flowers and that's the garden and that's what's blooming and blossoming. But underneath the ground, 90% of what God is really doing is underneath the ground, and it's those pipes that are supplying the water, right? And I said, the thing about that is, you don't know how those pipes are doing. They could be broken, they could be cracked, they could be leaking, 
If all you see is everything is blossoming and growing on top of the ground, you can miss it. You can wake up 20 years later and say, what happened to us and how did it happen? Think about that in your life. Whatever you're trying to build doesn't have to be your marriage, but how much of it is unseen and it could be damaged. It could be rotting, right? It could be leaking. There could be sinkholes developing. At my house, I know some of that's going on because one, we had a gopher and he, he wouldn't leave for like six months. He could just go all dig under there, go all through my yard, but also it's just soggy and seepy. Like you step on it and you can feel that there's, there's a lot of water. And eventually what will happen, there'll be a sinkhole. The ground will fall out from under you. And it could look beautiful on the top. So in a home, like your home, wherever you live, most of the pipes are galvanized or lead pipes that supply your water, right? And what they should be is copper pipes. Zach, I think you have a picture uh, of, of what the difference is. So people don't use these copper pipes because they cost a whole lot more and because you have to rebuild what's already been built. They put the cheaper pipes into your house because they did mass production and mass building. But eventually, that's what your water's coming through that you drink right now. That you feed these babies that are about to be born. That you cook with, right? But it's all underground and it's all under your house. And a lot of times, we don't recognize that there's a problem with that. Because you still get to eat, you still get to drink, you get your little Brita and you think everything's all good. But in reality, there's a problem within the foundation and within these stub-ups, within these utilities. How many of you really want to make that kind of change? Repipe your whole house. Dig up your whole yard. An investment, because it ain't going to be cheap. It's going to cost you. And how many of us are willing to say, as long as the grass looks green like that grass looks, I don't care what's going on underneath. So here's what we have to do. We have to build with the best materials, and we have to build things that are going to last. Somebody say amen. Building requires laborers. Things don't just get built. How many of you drive by places and you're like, oh, look, there's a new restaurant. Oh, look, there's a new store. Somebody built that. You didn't notice, but there was labor going on. There was an investment of time, blood, sweat, and tears for those things to be built. It's the same in your life. It's the same in my life. Building requires laborers. Building requires more in the uh, earlier stages than it does in the later stages. At some point, once you've repiped your house, they'll tell you how to filter stuff and how to, how to wash it clean. But in the beginning, it takes a lot. It takes more effort in the beginning when you're building something than it does later on to maintain it in many ways. A lot of Christians, we don't want to put forth that effort in the beginning of how hard it is to build something that is going to be strong, something that is going to last. We want to be in that maintenance mode where you're just checking in, oil light pops on, you, you drive into Jiffy Lube, give them $19.95, and it's all good. But before you get to maintenance mode, you have to actually manufacture and build something, and it takes more in the beginning than it will later. Preparing you, prepare yourself. If you want to build something, you want it to be strong, you want it to last, it's going to take a lot in the beginning. Building also stretches relationships. Somebody say Amen. If you're going to build with somebody, please believe me, it's not going to be the easiest thing that you've ever done. It stretches you. It aggravates you. It frustrates you. It, it pushes your buttons. If it wasn't for other people, you'd be fine. You'd be lonely and depressed and you wouldn't be able to build very much, but you'd be all right. The fact that you want to build something that's going to last and be strong, believe me, it's going to stretch your relationships. It takes more time, more effort, more resources, more, more sacrifice. But it comes down to this one question. Do you even know what you're building? Why rebuild? Why give more time and more effort and more resources, more finances? Why stretch relationships and aggravate each other? You know why you'll do it? If you have a really good and clear idea of what you're trying to build. If you don't even know what you're trying to build, why would you do any of those things? This morning as you came into this place, are you well aware, are you clear, are you certain of what you're building. Like I said, my story and Mary's story is different than your story. And what we're trying to accomplish and what we're trying to build in many ways is specific and individual to us. What are you trying to build? Do you have your own blueprints? Has God spoken into your life and said, this is what I want you to build, this is how I want you to do it, this is where I want you to go? Are you just living or are you building something that's going to 
bless your living experience? Are you building something that's gonna outlive and outlast you? Those of you that saw the, the first video through the app this morning, you know a little bit of what I'm talking about. I'm gonna ask Zach if you could show a, uh, another one for me, please. You can hit the lights and play that for us. Right, amen. So as you can see, they built something that could last. Somebody say amen. I think they said that uh, in the video that I sent this morning said that uh, they started that, I believe, in 70 AD, something like that. And uh, if that's the right year, I'm, I'm trying to remember, but that's over 2,000 years ago. And it says that over 3 million people go there every year to visit. I was there last year and saw the thing for myself. And it made me think, man, I want to build something that lasts. I want to build something that lasts in my family. I want to build something that lasts in the church. There's so many principles in that that apply to you and I as Christians, not just individually, but listen to what it said, all these teams of laborers just working on their arch, right? And when they all come together, it's something beautiful. Then it said that there's laborers who are building the arches, and then there's skilled laborers who are doing the chiseling and the designing, right? There's engineers before them. Building is done in teams, and we need to build something that's meant to last. What are you building this morning? As Christians, what are you building? As a man of God or as a woman of God? And then you have to ask yourself what we've already talked about before. As you build, 
As you build whatever it is that God is calling you to build for your life, for your family, whatever that might be, you have to ask yourself, are you going 90? Are you connected to God? Are you truly hearing from God? And are you going 180, right? Making sure that you're still loving on and considering and being compassionate with and ministering to other people. It'd be one thing if God just said, go build your own thing and it'll be great and I'll be happy for you. But that's not what he says as Christians. He says, while you're building... Don't ever lose contact and connection with me, and don't ever forget about other people. That's what makes it special to be a Christian. Everybody else, most everybody else, there are some people who are, who are very compassionate and giving and all those types of things we talked about on Wednesday, being moral. However, the vast majority of people, if they are building, they're building for themselves and for themselves alone. What's the most important part of what you're building? What do you think's underneath that Colosseum? There's a foundation. If you, if you go into your house on that foundation, you have what's called stub-ups. When they're building the foundation, they already know we're going to need electrical, we're going to need water, right? We're going to need sewer. Do you know what your house would be like if they forgot to put the stub-ups for sewer? Could you imagine what your house would be like if every time you went to the restroom, it didn't go anywhere? You know a lot of Christians are like that, though? They're building something that has no waste management. <laughs> Nothing is going out. It's just sitting underneath, your, uh, on your foundation, under what you're trying to build, what I'm trying to build. So this morning, we're going to look at the story of a man named Nehemiah. If you have your Bibles, you can open up. It's going to be up there for you. But Nehemiah, you can turn to chapter 1. Nehemiah, his name means the comfort of Yahweh. The comfort of Yahweh. Nehemiah chapter 1. I'm going to read a little bit here to you. So why don't we do this? Just, just focus up. The other scriptures will come up and I'll tell you as they go, but I just want you to listen to the story, the beginning of the story, to make sure that you, you really understand what's going on here. If you're ready, say amen. In Nehemiah chapter 1, it says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakalah, it came to pass in the month of Chisle, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is all broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and I mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night. For the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, Keep my commandments and do them. And though some of you were cast out to the farthest parts of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O oh Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servant who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer, and it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Xerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste, and its gates are burned with fire. Then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, 
I ask that you send me to Judah, the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Nehemiah. We thank you for your comfort that you desire to send into each and every one of our lives, Lord. We ask that you would help us in the rebuilding process in our lives, Lord. The things that have been burned with fire, the things that have been destroyed, Lord, the things that lay waste in our lives, Lord. We desire to see it clearly and then be used to be rebuilders, Lord. Repairs of the breaches, Father God. We ask that you would have your way, Lord, that you would minister to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Nehemiah is like many of us. We pick up the story and he's in captivity. The children of Israel over and over again that they would have the blessings of God then they would turn from God and go do their own thing. They'd have the blessings of God and then they'd get a new job and then they'd go waste their resources. They'd have the blessings of God and then they'd get with somebody and have a relationship and they don't know God and then they'd be taken into captivity. They're the same as us. Over and over and over again, God would minister to them, bless them, provide for them, and then they'd do their own thing denying God, and then they would be taken into captivity by the rulers of the land. So that's where Nehemiah is. Even though he's in the king's house, he's the king's cupbearer. That means every time the king said, I'm thirsty, he was there with the cup. Here you go, king. One thing I think is interesting is that he had a great attitude. The king never saw him sad. Many of us, when we're in captivity, many of us on our jobs, you know why we're not allowed to do some of the things we want to do? You know why we're not given grace? It's because we always whine <laughs> and we always complain. It says, Nehemiah, he came before the king. The king said, I've never seen you sad. What is going on? And then he had an opportunity to be used, right? They'd, been, they'd gone into captivity. This is the 5th century B.C. He was the servant of King Xerxes. I want to look at a couple different portions of, of this story, but you already know enough. If you've ever seen the pictures of Jerusalem, there's a wall built around the whole city. It's a holy city, right? And it says that it was broken down. It was torn down. It was burned and he was overcome. But did you hear how we began to pray? Anybody hear that most of that prayer was repentance? If you want to build something, if you want something that's going to last, the life of your marriage, the life of your parenting, whatever it is, it always starts with repentance. He didn't come to God and say, I want to do something, Lord. I can't believe it's burned down. He said, listen, I know why it's burned down. We denied you. We lied to you. Our fathers lied and then we lied. We haven't been serving you. You gave us Moses and you gave us the law and we haven't followed it. It always starts with repentance. He did that for most of the time. And then he said, Lord, just remember what you promised us, though. You said, even though we'll go into captivity and we'll be far away from everyone that we love and care about and everything you've given us, you say if we repent that you'll remember us and you'll bring us back. So he does that. And the king allows him to, to start this process. And I want to look at it for, for how we can learn from Nehemiah about what you're trying to build, what I'm trying to build. <clears throat> Chapter 2, verse 15, it, it should come up for you guys. But you can turn to it. You can use your, your app. Nehemiah 2.15. So Nehemiah gets the, the green light to go. He's allowed to go and, and begin this process of, of rebuilding the wall. And in a... Chapter 2, verse 15, he says, So I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall. Then I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. Then I said to them, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. Stop there, verse 20. First thing he does is he begins by spying out the ruins at night and alone. Why? If you're going to build something or you're going to rebuild something, you, you need to know exactly what it is that, that lies before you, exactly what the task at hand is. If you don't know what you're going to build, how can you get somebody else to help you build it? 
You ever been around somebody who's trying to get you to help them do something that they're still trying to figure out what it actually is? I don't know what I'm trying to do, but I need your help. Let's take five steps and go in this direction. As soon as you get there, oh my bad, I made a mistake. We're going to go this way now. And then we're going to go this way now. Nehemiah said, look, I'm going by myself. I'm going at night. I'm not telling anybody. I'm going to put my own eyes on it. I'm going to make sure I have a plan. I'm going to make sure I understand what it is that I'm actually trying to accomplish. Many of us are so angry that we don't have help, that we don't focus on what it is that we actually need help for, what we're trying to accomplish. We're just mad at people because they won't help us. We need to be sure about what it is that you're trying to accomplish. I asked you earlier, what are you even trying to build? We get calls all the time. I was talking to Mary <laughs> last night, and we're just talking, not about you guys, but about you guys. And it's like sometimes the actual question that we want to ask is, okay, well then what would you actually like me to do? Just tell me. What do you want me to do? How can I help? How can I support? How can I encourage? Just tell me what you want me to do. And you know what? Most people don't have the answer because they don't even know what they're trying to accomplish. You need to spend some time at night alone, away from everybody else, and go and actually look at what you want to get accomplished. Pull out a piece of paper and a pen and write it down. This is what I need to rebuild. This is what's broken. This is what's been burned down. This is what is, is making me a reproach amongst my family and amongst my friends. After that, it says that Nehemiah, after that, it even said he didn't even go to the priest. If you read through those first few verses, he didn't go to the church. He didn't go to the priest. He didn't go to anybody. He went and looked for himself. After that, he said to the people, let us build. Let us build. Something you need to understand this morning, you will not accomplish anything or build anything on your own. You can't. That's not how building works. You need other people. You need to work in teams. You need to all understand and see the vision of what you're trying to accomplish and then come together and build it together. He said, let us build. And then he told them, listen, let me tell you how faithful God has been. I'm not just here telling you to help me build something. Before I even came here, the king of Babylon, Xerxes, had to let me go. And God showed me favor and he let me go. We're here for a reason. Now I need your help. Let us build. And you know what it said? After he told them that God's hand was upon it, what they said to him, they said, okay, then let us build. Let's do it. Let's build together. Let's accomplish something. Last thing you need to know in this portion of scripture is about the haters. Say haters. haters. Say haters. haters. Amen. There's going to be haters. How many of you thought that you were going to have this nice Christianity, you're going to build something and nobody's going to hate on you? Nobody's going to talk bad about you. Nobody's going to post about you. Nobody's going to give you a hard time for not showing up to things. Nobody's going to tell you that you've changed. There's going to be haters. Please believe me. And if you can't handle the haters, then you can't really walk with God. It's just impossible. Just make up your mind. If you don't want to be hated on, then don't be a Christian. If you don't want people to have a problem with what you do and how you live, don't be a Christian or hide it. Don't post anything. Don't talk about church. Don't change your life and don't let them know that you've changed and then they won't hate on you. But if you're doing any of those things, you're going to be hated on. Their names are Sanballat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab. So since most of these haters out there are not Christians, when they come at you, just call them Sanballat. Like, what'd you call me? Oh, Sanballat. That's my new nickname for you. That's all. Geshem. And then we'll know what you're talking about. When you introduce us to somebody, hey, this is Geshem. Oh, my bad, this is, I meant, <laughs> I meant Jennifer, my bad. And then I'll know what you're talking about. Oh, it's a hater right here, let's pray. <laughs> if you're going to build, get ready for haters. They're going to be trying to undermine what you're doing. Right? But listen to Nehemiah's response to the haters and then see if this is how you respond. Because we all have haters. And most of us don't respond the right way if we respond at all. But listen to what Nehemiah says in verse 20 of chapter 2. He says, so I answered them. And I said to them, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build. Look, God is involved. He's going to prosper us. And we're just going to build. I don't care what you say. I know who God is and I know what he's going to do. And then I love this part. He says, but you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. He says, this has nothing to do with you. Imagine if that's how we responded to haters. 
I can't believe you're doing that. I can't believe you give. I can't believe you go. I can't believe you've changed. First of all, I'm building something, and the God of heaven is going to make sure that it prospers. Leave me alone. Second of all, this has nothing to do with you. You don't hear me crying or complaining to you about anything. You don't hear me trying to stop you from accomplishing your goals. This is between me and God. Unless you want to have a relationship with God, you can just keep yourself separated from what him and I are doing. That's what he said to him. He says, you have no heritage here. This is the city of God, Jerusalem, the peace of the Lord. I'm rebuilding a wall where there's going to be things that go on inside that you are not privy to. How do you respond to haters in your life? We start making excuses. We start trying to, to make them feel better about what we're doing. We try, we, try to, we try to minimize the work of God in our lives. We're in, we're, when we're in here, we're running up to the altar. We want to give testimony. We want to do all these things. But then when people start hating on us, no, it's not really like that. I just feel really good when I go. It's not, it's not that much. I mean, you know, we, we, yeah, sometimes we go to, to two services a week, but, but it's not as crazy as it's, come on, man, this has nothing to do with you. This is between me and God and what we are building, what he's building in my life. Sad, Balat. Go on to verse, uh, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 1, and it'll come up again. It says this. So it happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall that he was furious and indignant. And he mocked the Jews and he spoke before his brethren, the army of Samaria, and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he'll break down their stone wall. And then Nehemiah jumps back in in verse 4. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to the land of captivity. So here's the question. We already talked about the haters, but here's what I need to know from you, what you need to know, what I need to know about what I'm building. As you build, do you see burned stones and a weak structure that even if a fox comes and jumps on it or a little kitty cat, it's going to all come crumbling down? A lot of people don't build because their perspective is wrong of what they're building. With your friendships, with your marriage, with your ministry, with your relationship to church, with your building, do you see it as weak and feeble and it's only a matter of time before it comes crumbling down? Because that's what the haters were saying. What are they going to do? They don't even have good materials. They're using burned bricks. Look at them. They don't even know how to build. They're not engineers. They're not construction workers. Look at that wall. Look how ugly it is. If a fox jumps on, it's going to come crumbling down and kill them in the process. You know what's frustrating? Is that we know that's how the world looks at us, but I get so angry when Christians look at themselves that way. Are you building something that's just a matter of time before it comes, comes crumbling down? Are you building something that's strong? Building something that's going to last? Building something that's going to provide shelter? Who cares what other people see? If you see it the way God sees it, that's all that matters. Psalm 118.22 says this, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. One of those ugly burned stones, secondhand stones in the pile of rubble, God says that is the chief cornerstone, and if you build with it, it'll last. It'll be strong. While everybody else is hating on it. People look at you, and they look at your life, and they look at your relationship, and they look at your family, and they look at your house, and they look at your car, and they say, what are you doing? Why even try? But if they knew that you had the chief cornerstone, they wouldn't be looking at you that way. But who cares what they see? What do you see? What do you see? The chief cornerstone. Chapter 4, verse 13. Nehemiah goes on, it says, Nehemiah says, Therefore I positioned men because I'm building something. I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families. Say family. Family. With their swords, their spears, and their bows, and I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. 
Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held spears, the shields, the bows, the, they, and wore armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other they held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built. So the next thing I want to make you aware of is that you don't build or fight, you build and fight. Not only are there going to be haters, but you're also going to be attacked with more than just verbal war, uh, words. You have to actually be prepared to defend what you're building and to protect what you're building. You have to set people there to say, do not allow anything to happen here. Of course, there's going to be times when you are laboring on the wall that you are trying to accomplish, whatever you're trying to build, you'll look up and say, man, I'm giving all I've got. I'm focused on it. I'm reading on it. I'm giving into it. I'm plastering. I'm digging and trenching. I'm running electrical. You'll find yourself saying, wow, you know what? I feel really good. I'm actually laboring right now for what it is that I'm trying to build. But while you're laboring, please believe me, there are other people who are not laboring, but what they're doing is investing into what you're building. They're praying for you. They're resourcing you. They're giving so that you would have materials. They're going to get the materials and bringing them to you. Here's the problem. When you find yourself not building, do you find yourself resourcing and standing in the gap and praying for others and giving them the materials that they need? That's what it says here. Of a, it said families, men, women, children. It said that some would be fighting and the others would be building. And then they would be building and others would be fighting. And then many times they would be building with one hand and fighting with the other hand. There's never a time where you're doing nothing. But I believe with all my heart that if any of us look at our lives, there's plenty of times where we're doing nothing. We're not building or resourcing. Leaving gaps open. It's interesting to me, sometimes I'll get, I'll get calls, and I forget about it sometimes, but I know that it's happening because we wouldn't survive if it wasn't for that, but people pray for us. A lot of times we're laboring. We're here, we're working on stuff, we're physically laboring. We're physically doing stuff. We're preparing, whatever it might be, but none of that works if somebody's not standing in the gap for us and praying, if somebody's not resourcing us, if somebody's not helping us to be successful, right? Again, a lot of times you look at it as a church, but I'm talking also to you as individuals. Are you laboring and resourcing others? Think about it right now, your own walk, your own life. Which one are you doing right now? You laboring full go, you got your construction hard hat on, your vest and your boots on, you're sweating, you're dirty, your hands can feel the labor, or are you resourcing or are you doing neither? Last couple of scriptures I'm going to share with you guys. This is chapter 6, verse 1. I don't want you to be depressed. I want you to build something. Look at you guys. You guys are sad today. You guys want to go? Want to just pray and shut it down? Come on now. You know, all it, all it takes is one. Just so you know, look around right now. It's okay. It's okay to be going through something, it's okay to be tough, but you know all it took was one Nehemiah and the whole wall got rebuilt? We don't need everybody to want to build. We just need one or two Nehemiahs, one or two Gideons, one or two people who hear from God, they understand it, they get it, and they're willing to give their whole lives to it. And God will work with that. And Isaiah, I think we talked about it, chapter 6 on Wednesday night, God said, who will go for us? <laughs> who can I send? And only Isaiah said, send me. He said, send me before he even asked, what am I, I going to actually go and do and how long am I going to have to do it for? But he said, send me. Oh, God, if we could just have one Nehemiah who wants to build something. In verse 1 of chapter 6, it says, Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it. 
Though at that time I had not hung the doors and the gates, then Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent me this message four times, and I answered them in the same manner. How many of you have noticed that it's always just before a portion of the building is complete that the enemy makes that last gasp and tries to infiltrate and destroy? He says he built the whole wall. It's already done. The last thing I got to do is hang the doors. And now all of a sudden the haters want to be congratulators. Now all of a sudden they want to call me and say, let's have lunch, let's have dinner, let's talk about what you've been doing and how your life has changed. And what does he say? No, I'm wise. I'm not going to be distracted. I'm not going to go astray. I'm not going to stop the building for you who are really haters and trying to infiltrate. I know the difference. I'm building something. And he says they did it four times. You know what he said? He gave the same response four times. What I see a lot in my life, what I see in the, lot of, in the life of many Christians is maybe once or twice we'll keep building, but if people persist, we find ourselves going all kinds of places, doing all kinds of other things, going all kinds of other directions for months at a time, seasons at a time, and we forget about what we were building. We forget that you don't just get to leave your post and go do something else. When you leave, there's somebody building right next to you who thinks you have a sword and are protecting them, who thinks you're praying for them. Who thinks you're resourcing them? But you've gone back to be with the haters for a little while. We have to be wise and understand the craftiness of the enemy. We have to continue the work that the Lord has set us out to accomplish. Is there anybody here who feels like the work that the Lord has sent you to accomplish is complete? then don't leave the work. Don't leave the work. Don't leave the work. Don't give up. Don't stop. Don't stop building. Keep laboring. In our lives in the past, we quit on a lot of things, and we stopped short of a lot of things, and we didn't accomplish many of the goals that we had set before us. But in the kingdom, we can be successful. The Bible says, he who has begun a good work in you is faithful to accomplish it. It will be finished if you don't give up. Jesus says it like this in Luke 9, 62. Jesus said, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. If you decided to follow Christ and get to working and get your hand on a plow and start laboring, he says, you're not even fit for the kingdom if you look back, much less go back. Finish the work. In chapter 6, verse 15 of Nehemiah, it says this, so the wall was finished. So the wall was finished. What area of your life, man, what, what a testimony it is to be able to get up and say, this is what the Lord told me to do, and look, it's finished. This is what the Lord told me to do with ushering. This is what the Lord told me to do with cleaning. This is what the Lord told me to do with 31 status. This is what the Lord told me to do with financial peace. This is what the Lord told me to do with Bible study. This is what the Lord told me to do, and look, it's finished. It's built. This is what the Lord told me to do with my marriage, my relationship, my kids, my finances, my Facebook. <laughs> and look, it's finished. Nehemiah, against all odds, was able to do something. And in, in uh, verse 15 of chapter 6, he says, look, it's finished. Last scripture, chapter 7, verse 4. This part's great. Chapter 7, verse 4 says, Now the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few, and the houses were not rebuilt. Then my God put it into my heart to gather the nobles, the rulers, and the people, that they might be registered by genealogy. And I found a register of the genealogy of those who had come up in the first return and found written in it. These are the people of the province who came back from the captivity of those who had been carried away whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away and who returned to Jerusalem and Judah, everyone to his city. I wanted to close with this for, for two reasons this morning. Number one, 
I hope you were able to receive it, but the focus is on you this morning as an individual. You and your own walk, you and your marriage, you and your family, it's whatever you're trying to build, I pray that God builds it. I pray that you're successful. I pray one day you're able to say, look, it's finished. Remember when my, my, my marriage was broken and in shambles and burning? Look, it's been rebuilt. Remember when my life was so unstable that you never knew what I was going to do, when I was going to do it, how I was going to do it, how crazy the phone call you were going to get? It was in shambles, but look at what God's done. He's rebuilt it. That's my prayer is that an individual, I don't care. Let me rephrase that. <laughs> I believe that God has multiple goals and he has goals for the church, but those goals that, that get accomplished in the church are because of individual goals that are accomplished in individual lives and families. So I care more about you and your walk and your salvation and your growth than I do about anything else. So number one, it's about you as individuals. But number two, those who came back and rebuilt the wall first, God said, I'm going to use you to repopulate the city. Did you hear that in the end of the story? Nehemiah says, look, we built the wall. It's strong. It's stable. Now the outside is really out, and there's an inside that's safe and holy, sanctified, set apart, prepared for the men and women of God, but they're not here. So what do we need? We need it to be populated. We need houses, individual houses to be rebuilt. And what did Nehemiah say? He says, I went and grabbed the nobles. I went and grabbed the, le the leaders, and I went and grabbed the people, and we came together. I believe with all my heart that this church... This church is eight and a half, almost nine years old, and God has been good. I'm, I look up and I see all of your faces. I know all of these kids, and I'm grateful and I'm thankful. But the vision in my mind and in my heart and in my head that keeps me awake at night, that makes me wake up my wife at one o'clock in the morning to make her talk to me till 2.30, the vision that I see is that everyone who's here is like the first group of captives coming back into the land that God wants to use to repopulate. I believe that God is going to do more and more amazing things that what we've seen so far, it's been a blessing. And God's been extremely good. But I believe with all my heart, though, is if you focus on yourself and then you begin to understand concepts like these, that God will, will multiply. God will use what he's been able to do in your life to do it in multiple people's lives. To rebuild something that's going to last strong foundation, stub-ups for utilities, make sure that somebody's in charge of waste management, <laughs> strong walls that are built, if we're willing to be part of rebuilding something. Nehemiah started in captivity and he had to rebuild something. Unless any of you were born without sin and without drama, unless any of you came into your relationship with God and you weren't involved in things that you shouldn't have been involved in, you're actually rebuilding. Our kids... Praise God, they get to build something from the ground up without having to rebuild. Isn't that amazing? But for the rest of us, remember the chief cornerstone. It may look burnt, it may look like it's in shambles, but if you build on that, it'll last. Amen? Amen. Stand with me. We're going to pray. So this morning, we talked about a few things. I hope you remember some of them. You need to know what you're going to build. You got to actually look and see. You got to understand that it's going to take a lot of work. If you don't want to build anything, it's okay. Because <laughs> if you don't want to labor, you don't want to work, you don't want to get dirty, it's okay, but you won't have anything built. The good news is if you do, you don't have to build alone. Look around to your right, look around to your left right now. Do you have people that will build with you? People that will labor with you, people that will help you and encourage you. Remember that there's going to be haters. <laughs> Remember that there's people out there that don't want you to be successful, that want you to fail, that they'll feel better about their lives if you suffer in yours. <clears throat> then just don't give up. Don't stop. You're here this morning. That's a good thing. Somebody say Amen. Whatever you're building, if you don't stop, if you don't give up, he who begun that good work in you, he's faithful to bring it to completion. And in Nehemiah, we learned this morning that his name means comfort of Yahweh. 
even in distressing situations, even when things are difficult, when things are in shambles, right? You still have the comfort of the Lord. He can rebuild anything. He can rebuild anything this morning. Lord, we thank you for bringing us into your house that you've built. You told the Pharisees, Lord, you told the church of your day to look at the temple, look at what they had built, and you said that you were going to destroy it. That what they thought was strong was actually weak. What they thought would stand would actually fall. And the word that you told them is that in three days, you'd rebuild it. And they could not get their minds wrapped around it. They could not understand how something they had given their whole lives to, generations, how it could be destroyed and rebuilt in only three days, Lord. But you speak spiritual things into those who are spiritual. Nehemiah went back against all odds, Lord, and he rebuilt the wall around Jerusalem in 52 days. 52 days, Lord. I wonder what you could do in our lives in 52 days. I wonder what you could do if we take inventory and look and say, what is the current condition of the wall you're trying to build in our lives? If we set our mind to it, Lord, if we ask for help, if we labor and fight, if we stay the course, if we're not distracted and go in another direction, Lord, what could you do in the next 52 days, Lord? Lord, this morning we came into your house, Lord, and in the spirit we put our hands to the plow. Help us not to look back. Help us to finish the work, Lord. Nehemiah 6.15, you said the wall was finished, Lord God. Give us a vision, each and every one of us, Lord, of something being accomplished, something being able to be finished in our lives so that we would stay the course. We love you this morning for everything that you've done, Lord. And like many Christians that have gone before us, Lord, and, and many who will say the same thing after, truly this morning, Lord, if you do nothing else, You've already done enough. You don't have to do anything else to, to prove to us who you are, or that you love us, that you care for us, that you know our situation or circumstance. You don't have to do anything else, Lord. But we believe you will. We truly believe you will. You didn't rebuild the wall for Nehemiah, Lord. You gave him the strength to rebuild it. There's things that we desire that you're not going to do for us, Lord. But you've given us the strength and the resources, the family, the friends, to be able to see it accomplished, Lord. So just have your way. Continue your work, Lord. Encourage your people. Let there truly be Nehemiah comfort from the Lord for each and every one of us as we leave this place. We love you and we thank you. We praise you in the name of Jesus. And the church said, amen. amen.